Before we get started today, I wanted to acknowledge the passing of Bud Dorsey. Uh, he was a photographer, but he was much more than that. Uh, as WHAS 11 put it, he was, quote, a pioneer, mentor, and leader in the city's African-American community. He brought the attention to a lot of important issues in the city of Louisville through his photographs. And so, Bud, we're so grateful for all the work that you did, and rest in peace. Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm your host, Jesse Bartholomew. I'm going to give you guys a history lesson today about a very cool lady who did a lot of great stuff during her time in Kentucky. But first, I want to remind you all that I have a new podcast out. It's called the Pine Overcoat Podcast. It's about all sorts of fun stuff, including, but not limited to, medical history, war history, the occult and paranormal, weird fun facts, science, interesting people, and much more. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Pine Overcoat and it'll come right up. Also, bear with me today for this episode because it's one of those ones where, you know, early 1800s, mid-1800s, some of the details are blurry. I did my best to sort out the facts. This is the story of Delia Webster. Delia Webster was born in Vermont on December 17, 1817. Her parents were Benasia and Esther Bostwick Webster. She was one of four daughters. There's this popular photo of her with all of her sisters, but I think she was actually one of ten kids total. Uh, she attended a classical school in Vermont, and she started teaching when she was 12 years old. Then she went to Oberlin College in Ohio, which was the first college to accept women and African Americans in the country. Uh, the town was referred to as a, quote, hotbed of abolitionism. Now, in 1843, Webster was 25 years old, and that's when she moved to Lexington, Kentucky to teach. So she taught several painting classes. And she grew close with the two other teachers she was working with, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Spencer. And after a while, they were approached and asked if they would help open this high school. And so Webster became co-founder of the Lexington Female Academy. And uh, she taught art there. And so I guess things were going smoothly there for a little while, but she was not totally well-received in Lexington. So here's a quote about this from a 1921 article in the Indiana Magazine of History. Quote, She came to be hated by the slave masters as well as feared by them. While nothing could be established against her, she was constantly under suspicion and was subjected to threats intermingled with much persecution. With all this opposition, she continued her work just the same, traveling from one locality to another, always coming in contact with slaves and teaching them the avenues of escape and very frequently aiding them directly in the work herself. So I think she really liked her teaching job at the academy, but I, I think it was also just a front for the work she was doing on the side with the Underground Railroad, which is badass. So there was this guy, Calvin Fairbank, uh, Reverend Fairbank, actually, uh, from New York originally, and he started the work of freeing slaves in 1837 when he first ferried a slave across the Ohio River to free territory. 
And after that, he was like, yeah, this is my calling. So he started delivering escaped slaves to Quaker abolitionists named Levi and Catherine Coffin. And, uh, he would drop them off in Newport, Indiana, which is like west of Indianapolis, kind of right above Terre Haute. And from there, they would continue their journeys via the Underground Railroad to northern U.S. cities or onto Canada. In 1842, Fairbanks' work brought him to Lexington, where he rescued the wife and children of a man named Gilson Berry, who'd already made it to Ohio. And so the work that Fairbank was doing in Lexington led him to connect with Delia Webster. She'd heard that he was helping slaves get across the Ohio River. Uh, In fact, by 1844, he said he had already helped 44 people. So... They sort of joined forces, and together, they directed their attention to helping a man named Lewis Hayden. So Fairbank and Webster left Lexington via carriage on September 28, 1844. That's kind of amazing if you think about it. Webster is still just 27 years old at this point, I think. Anyway, they leave Lexington, and they pick up Lewis Hayden and his wife Harriet, and their son, Joseph. And this journey is really dangerous. I mean, there were moments where they'd have to hide the little boy under the seat of the carriage, and then the parents would cover their hands and faces with flour to hide the color of their skin. They traveled the Maysville-Lexington Turnpike trying to get to Reverend John Rankin's home in Ripley, Ohio, which is across the river from Maysville. Rankin was a well-known Underground Railroad conductor, And the John Rankin house is actually still standing today. You can go see it. But that's where they were headed, and they made it. The Haydens made it to Ohio, and later they made it to Canada. But on the way back from this trip, one of the horses got sick, and Fairbank and Webster had to stop at a tavern. And when they did this, two guys from Lexington saw them, recognized them. And when they got back to Lexington... Those two guys told the owners of the missing slaves that they saw Fairbank and Webster with a rented carriage up north right at the time of the two slaves' disappearance. I was reading this article about Delia that took a little tangent to talk about Lewis Hayden and what happened to him. And I actually really appreciated that. And I I wanted to share that with you all. So interestingly, Lewis Hayden's first wife and their son were sold to Henry Clay. And then Henry Clay sold them to someone further south. And at that point, Lewis Hayden was never able to find them, which is, you know, an all too common theme. And it's so sad. But eventually he married Harriet And like I said, after they escaped, they did make it to Canada. And after that, they went to Detroit. And then they eventually ended up settling down in Boston, where Lewis opened a clothing store and became, quote, one of Boston's most visible and militant black abolitionists. The Haydens converted their home into a boarding house for self-emancipated African Americans. And we know that this boarding house operated for at least a decade from 1850 to 1860. Then during the Civil War, Lewis Hayden recruited African-American men for the 54th Regiment, U.S. Colored Troops. 
He served in the Massachusetts House of Representatives. He even worked for the Massachusetts Secretary of State. He died in April of 1889. And later when Harriet Hayden passed away, she donated their money to be used as a scholarship fund for black students at Harvard Medical School. Now back to Delia. They'd been spotted up north with that rented carriage and it wasn't good. So people were onto them. And while they were gone, Webster's landlady went through her stuff and found incriminating letters linking her to underground railroad operations. So when they got back, Delia was arrested for assisting runaway slaves, and she was kept in a room upstairs at McGowan's hotel. They also beat the driver of the carriage that they rented until he admitted where they'd been and what they'd been doing, and so Reverend Fairbank was arrested as well. He was sentenced to 15 years in the Kentucky State Pen, plus five for each slave he had helped escape. After a few years, he was pardoned by Governor Crittenden, but he was arrested again in 1851, this time in Louisville, again for helping fugitive slaves. And this time, he stayed in prison until 1864. As for Delia Webster, Money was raised in her home state of Vermont for her defense. She was able to secure a separate trial from Fairbank. She pled not guilty, but she was found guilty and sentenced to two years hard labor in the Kentucky State Pen. At the time, she was the only female prisoner and they were like, we don't know what to do with her. So they built this little wooden cottage right in the center of the prison yard, which doesn't seem like a good idea. Now things get kind of juicy here. See, Delia was worried about being stuck in this prison because the warden was Captain Newton Craig. And he was very close friends with a lot of her enemies, a lot of people she had pissed off. And so she expected that he was going to come down hard on her. And he, he was a strong advocate of slavery. I mean, he, he stood for the exact opposite of everything she was fighting for. And yet... He took a liking to Delia Webster. So much so, in fact, that he was, quote, tempted into a compromising relationship with her. So while obviously she still had a lot of enemies, some people were thrilled with her and came to visit her while she was imprisoned. People from Frankfurt, important and influential people. Delia was pardoned by the governor and released from prison after serving just five weeks of her two-year sentence. And guess who urged the governor to pardon her? Well, it was her beau, Warden Craig. Uh, She did not talk to him after she was released, and apparently he was pretty unhappy about that. But um, yeah, she got out, and she decided to go back to Vermont after that and live with her parents for a little while and kind of let things cool off. So while she was there, she published a booklet called Kentucky Jurisprudence, A History of the Trial of Miss Delia A. Webster. And she continued her abolitionist work in New England. So she met Reverend Norris Day, who became like a spokesperson for her. Crowds would gather to see her or meet her, and he would kind of get up and give speeches on her behalf. They may have been romantically involved, but I think that's just speculation. 
By the way, all this time, lovesick Captain Craig was writing her letters, asking her to come back to Kentucky, which I just love it. She was a badass and a heartbreaker. After spending some time back home in Vermont, Delia Webster moved to New York, and she taught there for a while, and she worked with the women's suffrage movement, but she wasn't doing very well health-wise. Her body did not respond well to that cold weather. So she went to some health spas up north, and apparently she was advised by a doctor to move back down south. So she moved to Madison, Indiana, which is just one of my favorite places. It also happened to be the center of underground railroad activity in the area. So she was in Madison for a while, and then she bought a 600-acre farm in Trimble County with the help of some northern investors and fellow abolitionists. Ironically, Captain Craig gave her $1,100 for this purchase. She planned to start a school and experiment with free labor. She hired free blacks as farm workers. But there was a problem. Her neighbors started noticing boats stopping from the river and picking people up. And when slaves from nearby farms started going missing, obviously they suspected Webster. So angry neighbors started to destroy her crops, set fire to her buildings, cut down trees, whatever they could think of to sabotage her. And then they held a town meeting in Bedford and this was in February of 1854. And here's the decision they came to. Quote, Whereas it is known that Miss Delia A. Webster had recently run off numerous slaves from Trimble County, therefore resolved that it is the will and determination of said county that Miss Delia A. Webster leave the state. And Delia Webster said, Ha, huh, I don't think so. I'm not going anywhere. So they arrested her. They threw her in the Trimble County Jail, which I've mentioned before. It's a kind of a weird jail. It's partially outdoor. It's very old school. Uh, she was released on a technicality, whatever that meant in 1854. And then she was indicted on new charges relating to her actions in Lexington a decade earlier. She tried to flee to Madison, but eventually they caught up with her and they arrested her again. And she was acquitted and back in New England by 1855. But I'll be damned if she didn't go back down south again. So, gosh, she tried to live in Madison, uh, but somehow she was arrested again and put on trial. And this time, their relationship is so complicated, this time Captain Craig was a witness for the prosecution. Uh, her case was dismissed, but when she got home this time, because she'd been sitting in jail for a while waiting for her trial, and when she got home... She found about nine grand in damage and stolen property. So people had come in and just ransacked her, her house and stolen all her stuff and, and destroyed stuff. She, and so she was having trouble keeping up with her mortgage. And supporters from the north actually helped keep her afloat, helped her keep her land. And again, her plan was to start a new school on the property. She just wanted to start a school. And people in town just weren't having it. So in November of 1866, arsonists started setting fires. 17 buildings, four barns, and even Webster's private residence were burned. 
Even with all the outside help, she, she couldn't fight back against all the people in the area working against her. And so she eventually had to give up her property uh, in 1869. As she got older, she moved in with a sister in Wisconsin, then in Iowa. She never got married. And when her sister died, Delia moved in with her niece, Alice Goodrich, who happened to be the first female graduate of the University of Iowa's medical school. And that's where Delia passed away, in Des Moines, Iowa, on, in uh, 1904, at the home of her niece, Dr. Alice Goodrich. Delia Webster was 86 years old. She was honored as one of the Kentucky Women Remembered exhibit in 1996 at the state capitol, along with some other women I've talked about on the show, and many others that I'll talk about in future episodes. Thanks for listening to another episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about the life and legacy of Delia Webster. She was a pretty cool lady. Uh, We do have a website. It's kyhistoryhaunts.com. If you have a topic suggestion for a future episode or if I need to make a correction, you can send me an email. It's kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. Just search Kentucky History and Haunts. Also an Instagram and a uh, Twitter at kyhistoryhaunts. And be sure to check out that other show if you haven't already. Just look up Pine Overcoat Podcast. It'll come right up. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time.